Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a brilliantly sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Paul Davies, General Manager of the Taoist Thai Chi Society of Great Britain. Paul, hello. Hello. Paul, thank you very much for coming on the show today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, well, from from my perspective of what I've learned through my association with the Taoist Tai Chi Society, it's um, someone who presents a model of uh, a person who's doing their best for others uh, and for themselves at the same time. And how do you execute that with the people that you look after? Well, we, we, uh, we're a volunteer organization. We have a small number of employees um, to, just to do the tasks to onerous for the volunteers. But uh, all, of our, all of our instructors is around, the, around 200 now in Great Britain. Um, they're all volunteers and uh, so give their time freely. And of course, most of them are working or, you know, have other, um, other things that they need to be doing. So it's, uh, it's a way to find the time with them to, to give them the training. Um, I mean, some of the training or a lot of the training is, is on the job. Uh, they're, they're representing the society, uh, in their classes that they lead and they're teaching people, teaching people how to do Tai Chi. Um, and then we have uh, like longer programs through the year, two, three, five day programs where they can come and uh, learn from a, a much more experienced instructor. And, uh, you know, it's, it's learning about our aims and objectives as well, which uh, are, we have charitable aims and objectives, but it's basically promoting and teaching the Taoist art uh, and helping others. Now, leading volunteers uh, must be very different from leading full-time members of staff. Are there any particular challenges involved in that pursuit? Um, I think I think there's always a challenge um, in terms of the time that, that people have available, um, and also because they're because of the limited time, they're not so much. Find it easy to be so immersed in, in what we do, so it's it's you know dipping in and dipping out, um, and of course because what what we do is related to a, a foundation in in Taoist uh, philosophy, Taoist religion, Taoist spirituality, um, it, it can be quite challenging. So mm. um, we we just try and stay in contact with each other, um, keep things moving in the in the right direction. Um, and for the most part, it works. It works very well. I think the fact that people are volunteers it means, although there are different challenges, it means they're giving their time out of choice. And uh, so, usually, they, they they want to learn, they want to grow uh, in the way that we do. And do you find that there was a particular individual uh, in your earlier life that inspired you to lead the way that you do today? Yes, um, I mean our, our organisation. Uh, well, we have, you know, we're we're around now forty two thousand members around the world, 
uh, in slightly different named organisations, but basically the same the same type of organisation. Um, and the first one was founded in, in Canada in 1970 by a, a Taoist monk, Moilin Shin. Uh, sadly, he, he passed away um, in 1998. But uh, uh, I was fortunate to meet him. Um, he's a very different uh, kind of character, very different leader and, and model to what I was used to, um, but had a big a big impact on me. Um, and yeah, you know, he, he managed to do this coming from uh, China during the Cultural Revolution, uh, then spent time in Hong Kong, and then and then emigrated to uh, Canada, and just from started from teaching people in a parking lot, teaching people Tai Chi in a parking lot, uh, managed to grow this this incredible organisation wide. Um, and the way that he did it, he was such a such a humble man, um, and to, you know, to be achieving so much and uh, be so grounded, I think really had a, an impact on me. And the fact that it was always, it was always about others. It was always about how how to do things in a way that would help other people. And how were you first exposed to uh, this uh, society that you uh, now head? And the, well, the first thing was for me was to start a Tai Chi class. I didn't know anything more about the organization. Uh, just, just went along to, to learn Tai Chi. Actually, it was, a, it was a friend that introduced me to it. Um, and uh, so for me, I was a quite a young man, 24, and it was the first time that I'd been with a, a large group of people, different ages, different backgrounds. Uh, it's quite interesting and for me, um, obviously opened my mind to a lot of, a lot of new uh New ideas, new people, um, and I think uh, I think that's that's one of the attractions for me about the Dallas Arts is it, it's not there's no particular type of person that it brings to it that it attracts. It's, uh, it's such a wide range of different people with different different ideas and different backgrounds. So it's uh, yeah, very good for opening the mind. Do you find that there are particular challenges with dealing with people from so many diverse backgrounds? Or do you find that because of the nature of your organization, uh, it's a seamless transition? Um, no, I don't think anything seamless. Um, I think uh, there, are, there are various uh, challenges, particularly when we're getting involved in, in the administration of the organization. Um, so in the instruction level is, is uh, reasonably, reasonably straightforward, reasonably simple. Um, but at, once we start to be involved in the administration, which again is, is predominantly uh, run by volunteers, uh, then we have we have ways that we do things. Um, but it's quite they're quite gentle, uh, quite subtle. People don't always notice them, um, but they're there. And then you know sometimes we have bring them to people's attention and they might be surprised that, you know, oh, there's a way of doing it. Um, it's not just do anything you like. And of course, you know, sometimes we get people with uh, quite a lot of expertise in particular areas, um, maybe management, you know, business management, uh, something like that. And uh, then it can be difficult for them to see the way that we do it because they're used to doing things in what, what 
they see as the most mm. the most efficient way or the most productive way. Um, whereas it's not not always how we do it. And um, there's a, there's a to some extent quite a lot of Chinese culture within our organisation. So it's, it's much more to do with relationships and building trust uh, rather than you know achieving numbers or goals. Well, Paul, uh, our time together is very quickly coming to its close. Um, but before I let you go, what would your advice be to young people who are looking to take their first steps into leadership positions? Into what, sorry? Leadership, leadership positions. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I have a, I have a, a very particular perspective. Um, so I would say, you know, come, come to the Taoist Tai Chi Society and, and learn Tai Chi and learn the practice and it puts you in touch with yourself uh, and with others. And uh, also it gives a, a really good framework, a really good model for learning to be a leader in terms of, of considering others and um, seeing selflessness as a way to, to, to direct your, your actions and your operations. Well, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I uh, thank you for coming on the show, and I hope you come back on the show very soon. Well, I'd love to. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Paul. Thank now, you. That was Paul Davies, General Manager of the Taoist Tai Chi Society of Great Britain. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. 
he'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. It was a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top; is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team 
it is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in your organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could... Uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing, and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage, I looked like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them and there really must have been moments maybe there weren't but uh, let us know in that 66 competition the prolonged pressure on all of you you know the weight of a nation did it get to you oh not for me personally no i, I think and i don't uh, not for me not for a second i think mm. i was just happy to be I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but 
overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we... Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. I, just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, 
I, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing. Astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and, and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? 
Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back on an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. You... We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude okay. alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind single mindedness, dedication, Dedication to the job, um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may you know have a wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not. Uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, 
other guests, or any other person therein associated.